This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. If you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld Podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There is coming a day when freedom will just be an essence of the mind, an inner dwelling that was once physically attainable. They will tell you where you can live and what you can wear and drive, what and how much you can eat and drink and how to purchase those. They will strip you of your religion, race, gender, national origin, age, color, creed, views, and power, and have control of the population. They will set in a new world order and put you in the back of the line, marked and branded. Those were the words of author and poet Anthony Licione as he describes a not-too-distant global invasion. But this invasion won't come from space or an alien race. He and many other theorists believe this invasion will come from within humanity itself. Officially, the regime behind this new age doesn't exist, but theorists around the globe see their inner workings in almost every modern conspiracy theory. From global warming to cancer to GMOs, one puppet master reigns supreme. This shadow government is the grand master of conspiracy theories, the handler of the Illuminati, the Freemasons, and the Skull and Bone Society. They are the harbinger of death the masters of mass manipulation. 
the clandestine rulers of the universe and the beginning of the end. They are the New World Order. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can listen to previous episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. Many of you have asked us how you can help support the show, and if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Today, we're investigating the world's largest global regime, the New World Order, or NWO. This is an alleged shadow government that is hell-bent on pushing our world into one unified globalist government. A government that will exact absolute dictatorial control over humanity. A government where the citizens have no power or say. This government will usurp our rights, freedoms, and even identities to bring our world into a totalitarian state that makes George Orwell's 1984 look like a Christmas vacation. Officially, this group does not exist, but theorists believe it's comprised of the world's most powerful elite. From financiers to oil barons, royal families to Western leaders, even pharmaceutical companies. Once these groups have control over our world, they will exact the genocide of five billion people to secure the Earth as a utopia for the elite. The NWO doesn't believe the Earth can support our growing population, and the only way to ensure humanity's survival is through self-regulation. Resisting the NWO has become the prime directive for conspiracy theorists and activists around the globe. They believe exposing and hindering this global regime is the only way to save humanity. The true horror of this theory is how believable it is. The NWO is not a group of lizard people or aliens. It's simply a group of elites who want power and work only on their own behalf. It's not hard to imagine a group of radicals driven by extreme greed taking control of our society. This week, we'll be discussing the real groups accused of being part of the New World Order and their official roles in society. Next week, we'll explore some of the conspiracy theories behind the NWO. How plausible is it that one shadowy cabal is behind all our recent global crises? What do they want? And how can we stop them before it's too late? The official story behind the largest conspiracy in human history begins in the bleak winter of 1918. The 1910s were a dark time in world history. The Titanic sunk. The horrors of the KKK reemerged in the aftermath of the Great Migration. And the world fought through the unprecedented violence of World War I. President Woodrow Wilson guided America through the war as the commander-in-chief. And after the battles ended, he was committed to preventing a conflict of that magnitude from happening ever again. Some even say he was obsessed. 
Wilson's goal came to fruition on January 8, 1918, when he shared his famous and controversial 14 points. These were a series of promises between Europe and America that would encourage peace and create a roadmap for ending the First World War, or at least so they hoped. Of the 14 points, the most controversial promise was the last one. Wilson called for a, quote, general association of nations. He believed the world was too interconnected to ignore the importance of a global government. It was time they came together. This was a historic proposal. But as complicated as a global government sounded, many thought it would actually work. And in the wake of the First World War, world governments were willing to try anything to keep the peace. In 1920, the League of Nations was formed. At its height in 1934, the League of Nations consisted of 58 countries. Its primary goal was to maintain world peace through disarmament, international negotiation, and cooperative lawmaking. It sounded like the way of the future, but it was political suicide for Wilson. Although President Wilson proposed the idea in the first place, the U.S. Senate refused to let America join the League. Europe was still in shell shock from war, and this would permanently tie America to the struggles of European politics. The average American felt the same way. Most of the public was horrified by the idea of a global entity governing American affairs. They actually believed the League of Nations reversed the victory they'd won in the Revolutionary War back in 1776. What was the point of fighting for freedom back then if they were just going to join Europe again? Over 22 days, Wilson traveled 8,000 miles around the United States, trying to bolster support for the League of Nations. But it was useless. Try as he may, America refused to join. Defeated and depressed, Wilson suffered a stroke in the middle of his tour that partly paralyzed him for the rest of his life. The United States never became a member of the League of Nations, which finally dissolved in 1946. But while the League of Nations was working for world peace, there was another leader on the rise with his own ideas about global government. In 1933, Adolf Hitler was appointed the Chancellor of Germany. In the early days of his power, he was considered a visionary who would restore Germany to its former glory. But his real plan soon became apparent. Fascist domination of the entire European continent. On January 30th, 1941, about a year into World War II, Hitler gave a whirlwind speech where he called Britain the enemy of the world, voiced his hatred of the Jewish people, and then said, quote, The year 1941 will be, I am convinced, the historical year of a great European new order. End quote. One of the founding principles of the Nazi party was called New Order, or Neuordnung. Hitler and his followers were possessed by a vision of a pan-German state built for the Aryan master race, run by a totalitarian government. Twenty-three years after Woodrow Wilson drafted his 14 points, a major world leader was once again calling for an international government. Now, we're not suggesting the ideals of Hitler and Wilson were at all similar— 
but they did both advocate for global government. The League of Nations, with its grand vision of world peace, was unable to prevent Hitler from enacting his own global agenda. By the end of World War II in 1945, approximately 70 million lives had been lost. While the League of Nations was a failure, the aftermath of World War II only increased the calls for international cooperation and oversight. Proposed by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, the, quote, declaration by United Nations was signed by the Allied powers that eventually won World War II. The United States, United Kingdom, Soviet Union, and China. The following day, on January 2nd, 1942, 22 other countries had signed the declaration establishing the United Nations. The UN was more effectively organized than the League of Nations, and it also included several powerful countries that hadn't participated in the League, including the United States. Global leaders hoped this new peacekeeping organization would be enough to prevent a third world war from breaking out. Though some feared that in the post-war panic, world leaders were putting too much power into one organization. After all, Hitler's Neuordnung had advocated for a single governing body that had a hand in politics all across the world. Over the next few years, the UN quickly grew. And by the time the charter officially ratified in 1945, there were 51 member countries. The UN wasted no time in repairing Europe from the war and forming global mandates to keep the peace. But despite their stated peaceful intentions, some of the most controversial conflicts in recent history can be traced to decisions from the UN. The Israeli-Palestine conflict, which began in 1948, resulted from a UN decision to partition Palestine. That conflict is still raging today. The UN also approved the U.S. invasion of Korea during the Korean War in 1950, which led to a massive escalation of the war. But perhaps the most controversial aspect of the UN is its Security Council. This is a subgroup of the UN that oversees international security, which they enforce through UN peacekeepers. Peacekeepers sport iconic blue helmets and are armed with military-grade rifles and weaponized vehicles like tanks. Many see the UN military force as the beginning of a global army. However, these forces are voluntarily contributed by member nations. The UN has no standing military force. Typically, these troops are an observational force, but they are allowed to use minimum force in self-defense or if armed persons are trying to stop them from carrying out their authorized tasks. But self-defense and authorized tasks can be a gray area, and to make matters worse, the peacekeeper's agenda is voted on by a very small group of nations inside the UN. In fact, only 15 countries are on the Security Council, including five permanent members with veto power, America, Russia, China, France, and Great Britain. The 10 other members are voted in and out by the UN's General Assembly, but do not get veto power during their two-year terms. So, for example... If the Security Council voted to send peacekeepers into the U.S., the U.S. could veto it. But if they wanted to send peacekeepers to Poland, which is represented on the Council until 2019, Poland will have no choice but to tolerate their presence. It is a little troubling to see the U.N. forces in smaller countries, as those countries have no authority over the U.N. peacekeepers. 
U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley goes so far as to say, It has been a bully pulpit for human rights violators. But that doesn't stop conspiracy theories from abounding. If the U.N. did have ill intentions, they might have the power to start a global war, invade any country that resisted, or even spread a killer epidemic across the globe. There's one more global government organization we need to discuss. This one takes us all the way back to the Cold War. In 1945, the Soviet Union started to install communist governments in Europe in the aftermath of World War II. As a bastion of free market capitalism, America didn't take too kindly to this sudden spread of Soviet power. American business leaders feared political systems that empowered workers, and politicians saw a looming threat to liberal democracies in Western Europe. And so the great capitalist-communist standoff began. Each side accused the other of being the root of all evil. The Soviet-American conflict came to a head on April 4, 1949, when President Harry Truman supported the creation of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, which got congressional approval. This intergovernmental military alliance was originally between 12 North American and European countries when it was signed in 1949. Under the treaty... If a war was declared on any of the countries in NATO, all the other countries agreed to fight together to protect that country. As you can imagine, the Soviet Union didn't like this new anti-Soviet war club. So, they decided to make their own club. On May 14, 1955, the Warsaw Pact was formed. Much like NATO, the countries in the Warsaw Pact agreed to fight together in the event of another major war. It was an odd moment in history. Here, two of the world's largest superpowers were essentially glaring at each other and dividing the world into spheres of influence or a bipolar power dynamic. Countries were with the Americans or with the Soviets. International cooperation isn't new. Countries and empires have relied on treaties to maintain order and promote non-aggression for hundreds of years. World War I only happened on such a large scale because of all the international alliances in play in 1914. World War I weakened many of these alliances, and World War II weakened them further, breaking down many intergovernmental seats of power. What the UN represented was international cooperation on a massive scale with clear delineations of power. These were the largest checks on a country's power in world history— Instead of many international teams, there was one main team which could bully smaller countries into submission. And what NATO and later the Warsaw Pact established was two major camps of ideologically driven allies. From the perspective of a group aimed at establishing a singular global power, they didn't care who won, only that at the end of the Cold War, one ideology would reign supreme. Were the UN, NATO, and the Warsaw Pact truly attempts at preventing another world war? Or were these consolidations of power the calculated machinations of the NWO? We'll continue to examine the official story of intergovernmental powers after this break. And now back to the story. So far, we've been talking about the official history of events and organizations often pinpointed as the machinations of the New World Order. But the next chapter of the NWO 
is brought to you by organizations that operate in the shadows, influencing world events with no accountability to the common people, organizations that are prime for corruption. These groups are led by smaller numbers of people, but they control much of our world. One of the earliest examples of this kind of private organization was the Bretton Woods system. On July 1, 1944, delegates from 44 countries were asked to attend a secret meeting in the rocky landscape of Brenton Woods, New Hampshire. The goal of this group was to repair the world's finances after World War II. The war had left countries and economies in ruin, and it was up to these delegates to find a solution. Their solution was the International Monetary Fund, or IMF. This is a program run by the United Nations that controls the world's monetary cooperation. Essentially, they moderate exchange rates and foster global trade. A lot of their work involves loaning money to countries on the verge of financial collapse. But this system is not without its faults. Economists like Jeffrey Sachs argue that the IMF bullies smaller countries into conditions and budgets far too strict for their economies. Some economists go as far as saying the IMF is responsible for financial crises around the globe. People also believe the IMF mandates are too general to actually help individual countries. The organization doesn't take each country's needs into account when they prescribe a global policy for future finances. And finally, radical economists believe the IMF is more focused on helping American and European corporations than the average citizen. This is because the trade deals the IMF arranges often benefit each country's largest corporations more than it benefits their economies as a whole. Similar to the IMF is the World Bank. This was another organization created by the Bretton Woods system. The World Bank is in charge of loaning money to recovering countries and creating a pool of world finance. There are a few dark spots in this system, too. Chief economists argue that the World Bank actually promotes worldwide inflation and national debt. The best support for this criticism comes in how the bank is structured. Although the World Bank currently represents 189 nations, it is largely run by only 10 countries, which have a disproportionate number of votes. The United States, Japan, China, Germany, the United Kingdom, France, India, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Italy. Many of the same countries that hold much of the power in the UN. But couldn't you also argue that those are major world powers with the resources needed to enact policy on a global level? True, but representatives within the World Bank are typically ministers of finance or governors of national banks. They're largely people who hold positions given by appointment, not elections. Uh, for example, in the U.S., it's the Secretary of the Treasury who is appointed by the president, not the people. And this group is given the power to determine an entire country's fate. There's ample opportunity for corruption. A small group of non-elected leaders decide which countries get a financial bailout and which will be left to face depressions and recessions on their own. So it's easy to see why conspiracy theories abound about the IMF and World Bank's true intentions. They're operating without much oversight. Though that doesn't mean their intentions are bad. But perhaps the strangest international governmental organization is the Bilderberg Group. 
The Bilderberg Group is one of the greatest villains in the eyes of conspiracy theorists, and we have to agree, the secrecy around this annual conference is strange. Established in 1954 by Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, the Bilderberg Group is a top-secret meeting held by 120 to 150 of the greatest minds in politics, finance, and academia. Two-thirds of these participants come from Europe and the rest are from North America. They meet once a year in different locations around the world, always in five-star hotels with golfing facilities. For an entire weekend, they discuss the future of the world. New policies, new technologies, anything that is important to the human race. But in over 60 years, next to nothing is known about what actually occurs at these meetings. Press coverage is strictly forbidden, and the only details that are ever released come from the Bilderberg website itself. And those details are vague at best. For the June 2018 meeting in Italy, the Bilderberg Group talked about populism in Europe, the inequality challenge, the future of work, artificial intelligence, free trade, U.S. leadership, Russia, quantum computing, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, the post-truth world, and current events. All we get is a list of topics. The speaker for those topics is never announced, and the key decisions in these conversations are never revealed. We have no idea what current events or the post-truth world are to the Bilderberg Group. But that many great minds in one room talking politics behind closed doors is a fascinating subject to speculate over. What are they discussing? And why does it have to be so secretive? One of the most tantalizing aspects of the event is the extreme security that surrounds it. When the Bilderberg Group comes to town, the entire city is put on lockdown. Journalists are arrested if they even try to approach the conference, and police force is positioned throughout the city. We know this because dozens of conspiracy theory groups have tried to invade the Bilderberg Group for decades. The most notable among them is much-maligned radio host and avid conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. Jones started harassing the officials outside the Bilderberg Group back in 2006 with an improvised speech by a megaphone. Through the years, he's graduated to filming public officials as they make their way to and from the meeting, and even trying to break into the event itself, leading to several public arrests. The sheer impenetrability of the event only adds fuel to the fire for Jones and his fellow theorists. They believe that inside those meetings, members are putting together the master plans of the new world order. If they aren't planning anything nefarious, why do they need such serious security? Members of the conference defend their meetings, saying the Bilderberg Group is a chance for them to talk frankly about the world without the invasion of the press and public. But we can't help but wonder what they don't feel like discussing in front of us. Right. But once again, the Bilderberg Group is not the only mysterious meeting among global elite on our planet. There's also another strange and top-secret gathering known as the Trilateral Commission. First founded in 1973, this group is also international. It focuses on the relationship between North America, Western Europe, and Japan. Those three regions are the tri and trilateral. Members of this group assert that they are merely a think tank for world decisions with no sinister intentions. 
But even less is known about the Trilateral Commission. We don't even know the topics of their annual meetings. What we do know is that several U.S. presidents have been a part of the Trilateral Commission before their presidency. The two most recent examples being President George H.W. Bush and President Bill Clinton. But it's not just the presidency. Former White House chiefs of staff, secretaries of state, secretaries of defense, and even the former head of the Federal Reserve System were all members of the Trilateral Commission before their terms. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The list goes on. It's strange that so many public officials have benefited from this secret organization. Fraternities and final clubs are pretty common in modern universities, But a global club of this nature does raise eyebrows. And once again, new members are not selected by or accountable to voters. We have no public knowledge how or why these members are selected, but they often have flourishing careers as a result. One of the best examples of this was Bill Clinton. Before entering the Trilateral Commission, Clinton was a law professor at the University of Arkansas. But the very same year he joined the commission, he became the governor of Arkansas. Fourteen years later, he became the president of the United States. After joining the Trilateral Commission, all its members also tend to become more focused on international politics. They could just be thinking more globally, but it's a strange pattern. We have one final group to discuss, and it's easily the most controversial. Both the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission claim to promote peace and life around the globe. But this last group doesn't even pretend to have innocent intentions. We're talking about the Bohemian Grove. Started in 1872, this is an annual festival thrown for the richest and most powerful men in the world. Yes, men. Unfortunately, this group is highly sexist, and no woman has been allowed to participate in their meetings. Every July, male elite gather at a 2,700-acre campground in Monterio, California, for two to three weeks of heavy drinking, top-secret planning, and pseudo-ritualism. One of the major events at the Bohemian Grove each year is the Cremation of Care. This is a theatrical ceremony in which participants of the Bohemian Grove dress in occultic robes and play out the death of a spirit nicknamed Care. These participants are regular politicians and businessmen, mind you. But how seriously the members of the Bohemian Grove take this ceremony is up for debate. It seems this festival is more a gentleman's club to let loose in the woods than a yearly cult meeting of Satan worshippers. Perhaps the most concerning aspect of the festival are the -the off-the-record talks that its members have. The club's motto is, Weaving Spiders Come Not Here, which means politics and business are not allowed at camp. But despite the rules, members often discuss new policies anyway. The most notable example of this was the Manhattan Project meeting that took place during a Bohemian Grove retreat in September 1942 attended by the presidents of Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, as well as representatives of Standard Oil and General Electric, this meeting led to the creation of the atomic bomb. The Bohemian Grove is a black hole of conspiracy theories, and we would know absolutely nothing about this event if it wasn't for a few infiltrations conducted by radical journalists. 
Spy Magazine's Philip Wise spent seven days in the camp as an undercover guest. He described piano music coming from tents, hundreds of cigars on the forest floor, and male nudity. Here, AP correspondent Wendell Gohler goes into a little more detail about that particular part of the festival. The Bohemian Grove is made up of success stories from business industry and the media. The group is said to be big on male bonding rights like strolling naked through the forest during its annual outings at a place near San Francisco called Bohemian Grove. We could spend an entire episode on Bohemian Grove, but all we need to know here is that it marks yet another unofficial, non-governmental meeting with very real consequences across the globe. The NWO conspiracy theory extends far beyond the reaches of the Bohemian Grove's annual meeting. In the 1980s, the once-secretive New World Order became a public talking point for some world leaders, including U.S. President George H.W. Bush. We'll dive into official mentions of a New World Order right after this. Now, back to the story. Prior to the 1980s, conspiracy theorists had to dig for references to the New World Order. Global government organizations were rising, but it was hard to prove any of them were malicious. But with the arrival of the 1980s, everything changed. On December 7, 1988, the Soviet General Secretary, Mikhail Gorbachev, gave a speech addressing the UN. During this speech, he outlined his interest in a new order and the steps he believed must be taken to ensure a stronger world government. Throughout the speech, he advocated for a stronger role of the United Nation and more government codependency around the world. Conspiracy theorists saw this as a direct manifesto from the new world order. And Gorbachev was not alone. Three years later, on January 29, 1991, President George H.W. Bush made another overt reference to the NWO. During his State of the Union address, President Bush called for, quote, a new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind, peace and security, freedom, and the rule of law. End quote. Keep in mind, this was right after the Cold War. Russia and the United States were supposed to be ultimate rivals, but both governments were calling for the exact same goals, a stronger global government through the UN. Now, this speech was not explicitly about a secret global government. It was more of a reference toward a new age in politics. But the phrase New World Order had been public knowledge since the 50s. If it was a coincidence, his speechwriters chose a bizarrely poor turn of phrase. Either way, a certain faction of Americans were terrified by these two speeches. As international government ideals rose, so did New World Order conspiracy theories. Theorists made speeches at rallies and sold anti-NWO videos and books at gun shows. They also took to radio and fax networks. This is where that image of conspiracy theorists living in vans and voicing the hidden truth via radio broadcast came from. But by far the strongest tool in spreading the anti-NWO movement has been the Internet. On August 6, 1991, 
The first website was launched on the World Wide Web, and with it came international hubs for conspiracy theorists. As various homespun theories converged, the NWO mythology grew. This is actually why the NWO theory is so vast today. Throughout the 90s, online conspiracy theorists blamed everything on the NWO. In just a few years, the conception of the NWO went from a recent political movement to a dark cabal founded in ancient Egyptian mysticism. It was now thought to be a dark brotherhood that could be traced through the Knights Templar, the Gnostics, and even the French Revolution. Following this boom of interest, Hollywood also did its part to spread the New World Order around the globe. Conspiracy thriller television shows like The X-Files presented the NWO as a chief villain of the world. These television shows actually normalized some of the most radical theories about the NWO. Before these movies, the NWO battle was reserved for radical-winged subcultures. But now, more and more theorists were joining the cause with Hollywood's approval. This brings us into the 21st century, when a national tragedy secured the place of the NWO theory in the American consciousness. On September 11, 2001, the United States experienced one of the most horrific terrorist attacks in modern history. Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four planes and decimated the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. In response, the United States invaded Iraq in 2003 in search of weapons of mass destruction. The Secretary General of the UN, Kofi Annan, was quick to agree to that proposal. We need to strengthen our work for disarmament and our international regimes for controlling the spread of weapons of mass destruction. But with the capture and execution of Saddam Hussein, the world discovered there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. In fact, when President George W. Bush was asked what the invasion of Iraq had to do with the World Trade Center attack, he replied, quote, Nothing. Nobody's ever suggested in this administration that Saddam Hussein ordered the attack. Iraq was a... The lesson of September 9-11 was to take threats before they fully materialize, end quote. That response only fueled speculation that there was a secret, more sinister motivation behind the invasion of Iraq. And since then, the U.S. involvement in the Middle East has only grown. Some believe the real reason behind U.S. intervention across the Middle East isn't peacekeeping or defense. It's world domination. Allegedly, the Middle East is ground zero for the New World Order's future operation. There's simply not enough evidence to back up that idea, but the fact that it's become so popular is interesting. Before the War on Terror, only radical conspiracy theorists were speaking out against the New World Order. But in the past couple decades, politically oriented conspiracy theories have made their way into the mainstream. Twitter has become a launching site for theorists and theories around the globe. And Facebook groups have also given conspiracy theorists assurance in their most radical ideas. There's a group for just about everything these days, and it's easy to get trapped in an echo chamber of like-minded conspiracy believers, no matter how outlandish the theories may be. Perhaps conspiracy theories are themselves the best weapon of the New World Order. 
creating a sense of mistrust around the globe might be the best way to bring us all together in support of one world government that promises to fix everything. Maybe. To this point, it's healthy to always take a look at these theories with a certain level of skepticism. It's important to keep an eye on the governing institutions like the UN, but also to remember that sometimes wacky conspiracy theories are just that, wacky conspiracy theories. But when it comes down to it, we can't deny that there are a lot of small organizations exerting their power on the world stage, the Trilateral Commission, the strange meetings of the Bilderberg Group and Bohemian Grove, not to mention the iron grip the World Bank and United Nations hold over our world's resources. If those powers really are working together, what do they want? Is it world harmony or global oblivion? It comes down to how much faith you have in government and private organizations to control our future. To conspiracy theorists who tend to distrust those in power, the mere fact that these groups have gained global influence is a sign that there's something nefarious in the works. But is there any proof to support it? Or is the New World Order theory nothing more than mass paranoia? Next week, we'll explore three of the major conspiracy theories related to the mysterious global regime known as the New World Order. Conspiracy theory number one. Is the New World Order the force behind every major crisis in our modern world? And are each of these crises steps in a master plan to seize power? Conspiracy theory number two. Will the NWO soon dominate the world after a sudden coup, ushering in a state of extreme martial law? And conspiracy theory number three. Is the New World Order using global surveillance in a plot to bring about the end of humanity as we know it? We'll find out next week. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you want to hear more conspiracy theories or listen to any of ParCast's other podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. And if you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. Tell us your favorite conspiracy theories on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Join us next week for more conspiracy theories. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Michael Herman and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Conspiracy